We live in a world festering with moral evil, a world of wars, torture, rape, murder, and other acts of meaningless violence. In every city in the world every day, there are people deliberately inflicting pain on humans and other animals, and even enjoying others' suffering. There's also natural evil, such as disease, famine, floods, and earthquakes. This is terrible, but undeniable. For anyone who believes in the existence of a benevolent God, who is also all-knowing and all-powerful, this presents a powerful challenge, a problem, the problem of evil. How could a good God allow anyone to do such horrific things? If God is all-knowing, then he or she or it is completely aware of what's going on, and if all-powerful, could easily stop it. Yet the thunderbolts don't come. Many atheists have taken the existence of so much evil as conclusive proof that there can't be a good God and that there probably isn't a God at all. The problem of evil seems to be a genuine problem for anyone who wants to believe that there is. One response, the free will defense, is this. God could have created human beings that always did the right thing, never harmed anyone else, never went astray, but that would have made us automata, pre-programmed robots. It's far better to have free will with the genuine risk that some people will end up evil than to live in a world without choice. That's the claim. Victims of Caligula, Genghis Khan, Hitler, Stalin, Majedung, Pol Pot, Saddam Hussein, and the rest might disagree. And even if you accept the free will defense, it doesn't explain natural evil. So this is uh, one of the most common questions that people have that we are looking at tonight. I would say, um, just as I talk with people and as you maybe read people's stories, blogs, online, that kind of thing, uh, this is one of the most common questions that people wrestle with. Whether you're not a Christian or you are a Christian, it's a question that many people have. Why does God allow suffering? Why, Why does God allow suffering to happen in our lives? For some people, that question keeps them from believing in God at all. So if, kind of like the video was saying, if there is this good God, how could he allow sufferings? For some people, it keeps them from believing in God altogether. But for other people, I mean, if you're a Christian, you still have that question. I haven't met a single Christian, myself included, I've met myself and myself included, that, that, uh, that hasn't asked that question still. I mean, that's a question that keeps coming up. It's not a question you ask once. It's a question that people wrestle with for a long time. And it's, it is one of the most common questions that people have about God. Because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of suffering in the world. And this is just a, a clip um, a newspaper clipping. This, this side is CNN, and this is from the Denver Post from, from this morning, front page. And I, Not that we need to see this, because I don't, I don't have to prove the point that there's suffering in the world. We, we already know that, but I just wanted to just give us a sampling. This over here on this side is talking about the Holocaust, which is something that, that people bring up often. Um, not that the Holocaust just happened. It was just talking about this lady. Uh, this from, from Colorado. This says, Colorado Mesa University student dies in fall. So there's kind of accidental problems that take place. Suspect flees traffic stop after after injuring two Commerce City officers. So somebody uh, hurts two police officers. One dead in Colorado Springs rollover accident. Um, I don't know if you saw this on the news recently, but... Uh, the, do you know about the doomsday clock? Scientists have this doomsday clock that it's, it, it's, it, um, if it reaches midnight, they're saying basically the world is going to end. And they inched it uh, this week, they inched it two minutes closer to midnight. 
because they're just saying that with uh, climate problems and uh, nuclear stuff, all these different things, that the world is getting to a place where maybe it's going to end um, at some point soon. Mandy Moore is getting uh, divorced. Um, there's, that's not funny. Um, you guys are mean people. Um, it talks about a rare predator caught on camera. Um, hundreds of Boko Haram gunmen take key city. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of suffering in the world, right? There's, I mean, you just think about globally how much suffering, how much evil, how much pain is in the world. And we have the question, why does God allow suffering? That is a normal, natural question to ask because the world is filled with that. The headlines are filled with it and there's, and there's kind of different kinds of suffering. There's moral suffering, which is when people do things to one another that is not right. There's accidental suffering, which is just somebody trips and falls. I mean, people have freak accidents and, and get hurt. And then there's natural uh, evil or natural suffering, which is things like earthquakes and tornadoes and those kinds of things. It's just, I mean, the world is filled with it, right? But it isn't just the headlines either. It's our lives. Because, you don't. I mean, we, we can look at the headlines, but it's not just that. It's our own lives. I mean, I know from my own life and I know from talking with many of you and just from living life, we've got suffering inside whether that's things that are um, just life not going how we thought it was going to go, life not going how we wanted it to go. Maybe it's we don't have the friends that we wanted to have. We don't have the money we wanted to have. We don't have the spouse we wanted to have. We don't have the health we wanted to have. We don't have the job we wanted to have. I mean, it could be just life not going how we hoped it would go, life not going how we wanted it to go. Or it can be other things. It can be sickness that we have. It can be infertility. It can be loss of a loved one. It can be, I mean, all sorts of things, right? I mean, we, there's suffering out there in the world, but there's suffering in our own lives that we experience. So we don't have to look far to find suffering. And this is a problem. It's a problem if you think about God. Because the way that the video that, we, uh, that I showed earlier poses the question, and the way people often think about this question is, if God is good, he wouldn't allow suffering to happen. And if God is powerful, he has the power to stop suffering. But if God is good and all-powerful, then why wouldn't he stop suffering? I mean, and if you think about it in your own life, wouldn't you stop suffering? I mean, don't, I mean if, there's, if, if you love someone and if you have the power to relieve pain that they're feeling, wouldn't you stop it? And that's how we think about it, right? I mean, if God has all this power and he's got all this love and he doesn't do anything, maybe he's not there. Because if I had power and when I do have power and when I do have love, I do something about it. So it makes us, it makes us think, why, why, would God, why would God allow suffering? For, for many people, this is not a problem. This is the problem. And for many people, this is not just a, a theoretical thing. It's a deeply personal thing. And the Bible's filled with this. The Bible's filled with people that ask that same question. The Bible's filled with people saying, God, where are you? It's filled with people saying, God, I thought you were going to show up. God, when are you going to come? When are you going to do something? It's filled with people asking that question. It's one of the things I like about the Bible is because it, it presents the world as a real place with real suffering and real questions that say, God, where are you? And so this is a question that we all have, right? It's a question that people in the Bible ask. And tonight, we're going to look at a story. Um, because I think since this is such a deeply personal issue, there, there's, a, there's, there's many ways to answer this question, okay? 
mean, there's kind of philosophical ways to answer the question, and there's just kind of logical, argumentative ways to answer the question, and there's theological ways to answer the question. There's all sorts of ways, and we, can, I mean, we could talk about this for days and days, but you wouldn't stay here. I would just be the only one standing here, and then it wouldn't be that fruitful, right? We could try and see what happens, but if you've got questions more and you want to kind of dig into some of the philosophy and logic behind, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. I'd be happy to send you resources about that. But I want to take a little bit more of a personal approach to this because I think it is such a deeply personal issue. And so to do that, I want to look at a story in the Bible that shows two sisters and a brother that went through a lot of suffering and asked God why he allowed it and ask God where he was. And if you've grown up in the church at all, then you've heard the story, but maybe not looked at it from this lens. And I think the story is one of the most powerful stories that helps us to understand this question. So if you're not a Christian, I think maybe you'll begin to see some things that Christianity teaches about suffering that maybe will be helpful. And if you are a Christian, because we still ask that question, I know that this story has been one of the greatest friends to me in times of suffering. Um, and so the story is the story of Lazarus, and I'm sure, if, like I said, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard that story, and we'll read the story, and I want to kind of look at it from the sister's perspective. Lazarus, uh, their brother, so there's, there's these two sisters, and their brother Lazarus dies, and they send to Jesus and ask him to help. And I want to first look at the story from the sister's perspective. And I'll, I'll even kind of take out a couple things from the story just so we can enter in to the sister's perspective of the story. Um, and then we'll look at it from Jesus's perspective because it's a perspective that we don't often see. We often wonder what God's up to and what he's doing and don't always get the kind of we don't always get to see the curtain pulled back and see what's going on. So here's the story. This is the story of Lazarus and says this. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So he's, these are the two sisters, okay? It was Mary, so it's letting us know who these, who these people are, and, and, and they're, they're elsewhere in the Bible, but it says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord, that's Jesus, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So let me, let me tell you what's happening here. These people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they are very close to Jesus. I mean, outside of his 12 disciples, these are his closest friends that we see in the Gospels. These are his closest friends. And it's, it's wanting us to understand that. I mean, it's setting up the story in that way, saying, hey, these, these are the ones. It was Mary who, who wiped his feet with her hair. Like, I don't know um, how close your friends are to you, but you're pretty close friends if you would do that, right? If you would wipe someone's feet with your hair, that's, that's a pretty close friend that would do that, right? Um, they are very close. They even say to him, Lord, it's the one that you love, it's th- these are people that Jesus was really good friends with. It shows in the, in the Bible that they are people that he ate meal with and that he hung out with and he stayed at their house. I mean, these are his, these are his closest friends outside the disciples. And it, the story wants us to see that. It wants us to remember that. It wants us to remind us and see these are people that were really close to Jesus. And I want you to 
put yourself in their shoes, and maybe that might not be too hard for you, because if you're going through suffering or have gone through suffering, it might bring up memories, but I want you to enter into what they would have been feeling, what they would have been thinking, what would have been going on in their minds and in their hearts, because it's, it's our story, and I think it connects with how we feel in the middle of suffering, and here's the first thing. It says, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now here's what's Here's what happens a lot of times in suffering, and here's what they did. They did the right thing. They essentially prayed to Jesus. They, they said, okay, our brother is about to die. He's ill. He's sick. We're going to go send word to Jesus. Somebody go get Jesus. Somebody go tell Jesus. And if you're sick or if you're suffering or if you've, it, when you have suffered in your life, maybe that's what you did. Maybe you said, I've been suffering, my life's not going how I want it to go, or someone around me is suffering, and and I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Jesus to do something. I'm going to send for him. Like, they they do the right thing, right? They have faith. They believe. They even even appeal and say, Lord, he's the one you love. Like, they they do the right thing. They, They appeal to Jesus. They have faith. They essentially pray. But Jesus stays, doesn't come. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are going, are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This is kind of a side teaching note that Jesus gives to them. Then it says this, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So let me pause here. It says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. So I want you to, again, think about this. Their brother gets sick, okay? And when you've suffered, maybe you immediately cry out to God. Say, God, I need you. I need you to help. I need you to do something. And have you ever felt like he didn't show up? That's what happens here. He's dead. I mean, he's been dead now. They sent to Jesus. He didn't come. He didn't show up. And the brother's now been dead for four days. Four days. Four days of grief. Four days of experiencing loss. Four days of feeling like Jesus doesn't care. I mean, have you felt like that before? Have you felt almost abandoned by God? Like, I, I had faith. I cried out to you. I prayed to you. I did what I was supposed to do and asked you to, to come. And now I've been sitting here for four days with my brother dead. Now, this is just a snapshot, right? Um, and if you know the story of Lazarus, you know Jesus brings him back to life. But that, they didn't know that that was going to happen. They experienced this loss, this death thinking it's over. And it's, like I said, it's a snapshot because um, there's a lot of times that Jesus doesn't intervene and, uh, and it happens again and you cry out to him. And it happens again. And what, what happens if over and over again you've said, hey, Jesus, will you show up? Jesus, will you show up? Jesus, will you show up? And doesn't show up, doesn't show up. I mean, what happens if, if you felt that in your life? I mean, it, 
over time, you sometimes just give up, right? I mean, why keep asking? I mean, if, if they would have had seven brothers and they asked the first time and he didn't show up, and then they asked the second time and he didn't show up, and then they asked the third, I mean, probably by the fourth or fifth brother, they would probably just be like, okay, why, why would we even send word to Jesus, right? I mean, this is, this is how suffering can feel, that we feel abandoned, that we, we call out to God and it feels like he's not picking up the phone. There's silence on the other end. And then it says, so when Martha, so Jesus comes after Lazarus is dead. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. So Jesus is on the way there. Martha hears, somebody tells her, hey, it looks like Jesus is on the way down. So she goes out on the road to meet him. But Mary, the other sister, she remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See what she says? You could have done something about this. If you would have been here, I wouldn't have experienced this. If you would have been here, I wouldn't have suffered. If you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead. If you would have done, I mean, this is, this is, this is basically the question. If, it, hey, if you would have shown up, if you really have this power, if you really have this love, then something would have changed. You could have done something about this. God, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened to me. If you would have been here, everything would have been different. I mean, and we've prayed like that, right? God, if you would have shown up, I wouldn't have gotten sick. If you would have shown up, I wouldn't have lost that friend. I I wouldn't have experienced that sickness. If you would have shown up, I wouldn't still be single. If you would have shown up, my marriage wouldn't be a wreck. If you would have shown up, if you would have shown up, something could have been different. And that's what's going on in their heart. That's what, I mean, I've felt that prayer, that cry, that ache. God, if you would have been there, that's what they feel. You could have done something. You let me down, right? You let me down. I I asked you to do something and you let me down. I trusted in you. I had faith in you. I prayed to you and you let me down. That's what they feel. And this is the essence of the question that they feel in their heart. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, and I'll get to that section in a second. But here's, here's what happens. Jesus, said to her, Jesus says to her, your brother's going to rise again. And she says, I know he's going to rise again on the last day. So this is what the the Jewish people believed. They believed that when somebody died, it was kind of, it was done for the moment. But then one day, everybody would collectively rise from the dead. They didn't believe in this person dies and then rises and this person dies and then rises. They believed that everyone would have a collective rising. And so, she, so Jesus says to her, hey, your brother's going to rise again. And she receives that kind of like we do when people say things like, hey, you know, they're in a better place. 
Like, okay, yeah, I know, but I don't care. She receives it kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And she doesn't want, and this is not what Jesus is giving, but it's how she's receiving it. She doesn't want pat answers. She doesn't want just, he's in a better place, everything's going to be okay, that, you know, everything works itself out. That's not what she wants to hear. And it's what it's, any sort of truth comes into her ears and that's how it sounds like to her. And, and she, you know, she even says, Jesus says, you know, um, who, who do you believe that I am? And she's like, yeah, I believe, I believe, okay? But that's not what she's, I mean, that's not what she's interested in at that moment. She's not necessarily wanting to hear just everything's going to be fine. She's feeling pain and feels like what she's getting is just pat answers, just platitudes. That's what she feels like. If you've suffered and people have tried to talk with you, you've probably felt like that at some point. Like, man, I, I don't, I don't want to hear it because I don't really care. I just want my brother alive. I just want this thing to change. Next thing that happens, she goes and tells her sister Mary, and she says, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, so kind of outside the city. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb of Lazarus to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Mary asks the same question or says the same statement. Lord, if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. But she does it differently. Martha comes out to him and says, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. I know you can still fix it if you want to fix it. And Jesus, they kind of almost get into an argument a little bit about truth. And Jesus says, hey, don't you believe that he will rise again? Yes, I believe that. Mary's different. She has the same statement. She has the same question, identical, but different emotion behind it. She's not interested in kind of this rational debate. She comes and falls at his feet and is weeping and saying, Lord, if you would have been here. Martha's almost rational and angry kind of. God, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary, same thing, but she's on the floor crying, sobbing. And I mean, this is true, right? We can deal, we can, we can have the same kind of cry in our heart about where is God? Why does God allow suffering? And for some of us, that's kind of more of a rational question and we kind of debate about it. If we go through suffering, maybe we're sitting down on the computer and Googling, why does God allow suffering? But for other people, you're sitting down on the floor in a puddle of your own tears and a bottle of wine saying, why does God allow suffering? Some people deal with suffering with food. Some people deal with it with alcohol. Some people deal with it by going to the club and trying to get their mind off of things. Some people deal with it by, I mean, also we deal with it in different ways, right? Martha, more rational. Mary, same question, same heart pain, down on the floor, 
crying. And see, this is real life because this, this happens where some people get angry at God when they suffer. Some people sort of develop a bitterness towards God when they suffer. They're not necessarily outright anger, but they feel like a friend betrayed them. Maybe even they kind of smooth it over a little bit, but they always have that sense of, I don't know if I can totally trust him again. There's always kind of a sense of, yeah, you're the friend that didn't come through for me. Other people just totally disbelieve God after suffering. Other people start to change their view of God in suffering. So maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. Maybe he's more removed. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't really answer prayer. Maybe he, I mean, they start to change their views of who God is in suffering. I mean, we can have different responses, same people, same cry in our heart, but different responses. So this is what happens with these sisters. This is what happens with us. So now let's look at the story from from Jesus' perspective. Because a lot of times we don't get that perspective. And it's, it's, it's nice to be able to see a narrative, a story that actually tells us, here's what's going on in God's mind. Here's what's going on with, with Jesus. Here's what's going on with him. Because we all ask the question, why does God allow suffering? Where is he in suffering? So let's see what the story says. This is Jesus' perspective. And I'll just read, this is, we already read this part, and I left out this part intentionally just to show us, but here, here's what this says. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, here's the first thing that we see from Jesus' perspective. He hears. So the first thing we see is that he heard their request. He heard what they said. They, now, they don't necessarily know that, and they're not experiencing that, right? Because nothing happened immediately that they wanted to happen. But the first thing we see is simply this, that he heard what they said. He heard them. That's really important. And even now, if you're going through suffering... A lot of times in suffering, we either turn away from God or we turn into ourselves, but we don't turn to God. And what the sisters did rightly is in the middle of their suffering, they turned towards God and he hears. And the second thing we see is that he didn't answer them, but he has reasons. He has reasons. I'm not saying that solves everything. I'm not saying that makes everything fine. But, but when people say things like, man... If God is good, he wouldn't allow suffering. If he's powerful enough to stop it, he wouldn't allow it. But, here's the truth. He has reasons that sometimes we can't see. I mean, can't that make sense? I mean, can't it make sense that our minds can't comprehend all the things that, that God is doing behind the scenes? I mean, Jesus never said this to them, by the way. I mean... Maybe at some point he did, but in, in the story, he didn't say this to them. So Jesus has reasons. God has reasons for allowing things to happen that we don't always get to see. But doesn't it make sense that God could have reasons for things that we don't understand? 
I mean, if there's a God powerful enough to stop suffering and loving enough that he could stop suffering, couldn't he be wise enough to have reasons that we totally couldn't comprehend? I mean, that's just something to think about. It doesn't mean that we would agree with him all, even if he told us. Maybe if Jesus would have sent them back a a message saying, hey, just so you know, I'm going to tell you this, they wouldn't have necessarily agreed with that. But the first thing to see is that he hears. The second thing is just that, man, just because we don't understand the reasons doesn't mean that there's not any reasons. God is beyond our comprehension in so many ways. Second thing is that it's not just he has reasons. It's not just, hey, I'm smarter than you and I've got my reasons. Hey, I'm kind of this genius in the sky that is orchestrating things and you're my pawns in a chess game and I've got reasons. Yeah, I've got to sacrifice a few pawns to to win the game. It's, It's not just that. It's that his reason is love for us. So listen to what it said. So now Jesus loved Martha and it's emphasizing his love. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is mind-blowing, okay? And if you, um, if you don't see how mind-blowing this is, then let me show you, okay? Because I know you're wondering, why is that mind-blowing? Look what it says. Jesus loved them so much, all of them. He loved the brother. He loved the sister. He loved the other sister. He loved them all. So... He let him die. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> I mean, is that how you show your love to people? <laughs> I mean, if you, had a, if you have a boyfriend and for Valentine's, he's like, I'm going to show you how much I love you, just like Jesus did with Lazarus. You, you might be a little freaked out, right? Like he says, I love you so much. I'm going to let you die. It says he stayed, because he loved him, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed longer. So they say, he's sick, my brother's dying. And he goes, okay, just going to stay here for a little while, kick up my feet, and let you die. Now that seems weird, right? Seems really weird. And here's, here's what we need to see. Jesus lets him die because he loves him. Because love is not giving people what they want. That's usually what our conception of love is. Love is being nice. Love is saying what the other person wants to hear. Love is giving the other person what they want to have. Love is just this kind of niceness. That's what our culture has developed as a concept of love. Love is being a nice person that just does what other people want, is nice to them, gives them what they want, says what they want, and that's the loving thing to do. Like, if you would have written out a category of, Loving things to do and say. You wouldn't put, let your friend die on there. But Jesus does. But that's because our mindset of what love is, is just give people what they want and do what they want and say what they want and be a nice person. That's that's how we think of love. In fact, the most common version of the Bible, the most common version that people use, and maybe some of you have this, is the New International Version, the NIV And it's interesting because the electronic version just, I don't know about just, but at some point recently in the last handful of years changed this. So if you you have an electronic version, this is no longer the case. But if you have an old paper version, the way that the NIV 
used to put this was but. And that's wrong. I mean, you look at the Greek, that's not what it says. It says, therefore, it says, so. But they were too scared to put that in there. They changed it now because people were giving them heat about it. But they put, but. They said, Jesus loved this guy so much. Therefore, that couldn't make any sense. But he let him die. Because we do not know what love is. We think love is giving people what they want. We think love is saying what people want. And it's not. So, what you need to see is a couple things. First of all, I know I haven't explained why that's loving yet, and I will. But what I first just want you to see is this. When you suffer, it does not mean it's because God doesn't love you. And that's a lot of times what we think when we suffer. Have I displeased God? It, did, I, did I, you know, make him mad in some way that now he's out to get me? Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he's left me. Maybe he's, I mean, maybe he doesn't love me the way I thought he loved me. And this says that he allowed it because he loved him. Not in spite of his love for him, but because he loved him. Okay, so how is that love? And how, how is it love to let somebody die? It's a strange way of showing your love for someone. So how is, it, how is it love? Well, Jesus had a purpose behind it, okay? He has a purpose behind it, and here's, here's what we see. After saying these things, he said to them, to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. They're not kind of catching the hint. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, listen, to, I mean, Jesus is a weird guy, okay? Listen to this. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there. He's dead, and I'm glad I wasn't there. I mean, it just sounds so different from what we think love is. Lazarus, I would have loved to you know, just been a disciple back then. We're like, what is this guy talking about? Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Jesus says he has a purpose. And then it's so big, and, and we'll see this, that Jesus is thinking about, I love Lazarus, I love Mary, I love Martha, I love my disciples. So part of why I'm letting Lazarus die is for your sake. Later, we'll see that it's because of the other people around them, the Jews, their friends and family. So there's this huge purpose going on that Mary and Martha maybe never even knew until they read this. I mean, imagine them reading this story at some, what the, that's what was going on. But there's this huge circles of purpose that Jesus has. That it's not just Lazarus. It's not just that he loves Lazarus. It's not just that he loves Mary and Martha, but Jesus has this huge purpose for the suffering that he allows. He, he loves all of these people involved. And Jesus says that he has a purpose, even though they wouldn't necessarily understand it. And that purpose is this, so that you may believe. Jesus says that the purpose for allowing the suffering is so that they would believe. So here's what love is. 
The greatest form of love is giving people what they most deeply need, not just what they want. Not just saying what they want, not just saying what they want to hear, not just being a nice person, but it's giving them what they most deeply need. And Jesus says our greatest need is faith. Our greatest need is to know who he is. It's to believe in him. That there's something even better than life. And it's faith. So here, here, here's what this means. Let me, let me keep going in the story. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So now Jesus comes to where Lazarus is buried. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. So he's dead. In the King James, literally, this is not a joke. In the King James, it says, he stinketh. So, so she's like, dude, he's, he stinketh, okay? <laughs> Probably not like polite funeral etiquette if you ever go to a funeral. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe. So again, it's not just the disciples. It's not just Mary. It's not just Martha. It's not just Lazarus. It's everybody that's now watching this, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. He's probably wondering what the heck just happened. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So here's, it's belief. Because here's what happens in suffering. Suffering, when we suffer, it's kind of like we are getting squeezed. It's this pressure and it's like almost, we're like a, maybe imagine a toothpaste bottle or something. And suffering squeezes you and whatever is in you comes out. What you really believe, what you really think, what you really feel, what you really love comes out of you when you suffer. See, we can say, I love God, and I, man, I've got so much faith. And, and when you suffer, the squeezing happens and shows what's really inside. When you suffer, who you really are comes out. That's what happens when we suffer. And what we believe about God comes out. If you think back to Jesus' conversation with Martha, and she says, yeah, 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 I, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you've come into the world. I believe that. But she, I mean, kind of, but she doesn't really believe that at a heart level in a way that has transformed her because she's saying, yeah, I believe that you are God coming in to rescue the world. Yeah, I believe that, but give me my brother. See, there's this disconnect where she kind of has some right beliefs and kind of says she knows some things about God, but suffering is showing, yeah, but what you really love is this. What you really 
value is this. What you really believe about me is not what you're saying you believe about me. Suffering squeezes you and shows this is what's really in your heart. That's why we don't like suffering. Because it begins to threaten the very things that we most deeply love. It begins to take away the things sometimes that we most deeply love or threaten or challenge the things that we most deeply prize. And God wants to use suffering to loosen our grip on things. He wants to use suffering to turn our hearts, to turn our affections away from other things that we love towards him. That's what, that's what belief is. So he's saying, you say you believe in me. You say that, but suffering shows you don't at a deep level. And I, I want to use this suffering in your life to lead to belief, to lead to you seeing me for who I really am, to lead to you seeing me and worshiping me and knowing me for who I really am, not just in some abstract way, not in some, yeah, yeah, of course I believe that way, but no, really, that that's what suffering is used for. He wants to loosen our grip on things and give us something better. See, we love other things and we prioritize other things, and we value other things, and when suffering comes, he wants to use that so that it would lead to seeing his glory, he said. That it would lead to us seeing his glory instead of, right now, we look at other things as glorious, and glorious just means the things that we love, what we say is, matters the most, is most important, is most special, is most beautiful, is most amazing, and he says, I want to use suffering to show you who I really am that it would change our values and change our priorities and change our love. Now, that maybe seems almost egocentric. Like, why would you just say, hey, I want to show you how I'm better instead of these things? C.S. Lewis, a Christian author and um, from a professor at Oxford, he said that when we say something is admirable, what we mean is that it ought to be admired. So, If you say, this is beautiful, what we mean is that it ought to be seen as beautiful, right? So think about just even a very basic level with, if you say, this movie, if you tell your friends, this movie is awesome, what you mean is, and you should see it as awesome, right? That's what we say, man, this food is so good, it's so amazing, and what we mean is, and you should experience the amazingness of it. That's that's what we mean when we say those types of things. And so when we say that God is glorious, and when Jesus says that he is glorious and he wants people to see his glory, what that means is, and you you should experience it. But what is most glorious is most joyful. So it's not just a command to say, hey, I'm glorious, you better recognize. It's saying and you will have joy when you experience this. I mean, that's, if I said this, this dinner is glorious, what I mean is if you experienced it, you would experience its glory and have joy, right? So take that times infinity between a, you know, a sandwich and between God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to see me and experience me for who I am as the most glorious reality, not just because I want you to recognize 
but because that's where the deepest joy is. What is most glorious leads to the most joy. So when Jesus says, I want you to see my glory, I want you to really know who I am. I want you to really trust who I am and see who I am. He's not saying just so you better realize the truth. It's because that would give you the most joy to experience that, which is most glorious. Does that make sense? That is what Jesus is saying. And that's why that's better than just giving them what they wanted. That's why it's more important even than life itself is faith. And that's what faith is. Faith faith is not, I'm not just talking about some belief in God. Faith is seeing God for who he really is. It's, It's savoring. It's experiencing his glory for what it really is. So this is what Jesus says. That he wants them to see his glory. Because if they didn't, they'd miss out. If they didn't, they'd miss out. He wants something more for us than just relief from the situation or change of the situation. He wants joy for us. I mean, he wants this. It, that is what this is saying, that Jesus wants your deepest joy. And he knows more what that is than we even do. He wants you to experience the deepest joy possible. Not by saying, hey, look at this movie or look at this book or look at this blog or look at this food, but look at me. That's where the deepest joy is, when you really see my glory. And so he's willing even to let people suffer if it would lead them to experience more of his glory. He's willing, because of love, not in spite of love, to let people suffer to see more of his glory. And here's what this means. This means that when we suffer, we should be asking the question, not just, why is God allowing this? But how can this help me to see more of who God is? How can this help me to see more clearly who he is? How can it help me? How can suffering be helpful to me? Now, next is this. Go back in the story a little bit because it's not just that he has a purpose and it's not just that his purpose is love and it's not just that he wants you to see his glory. But this is really important that he says, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So this is another amazing thing because, number one, Jesus knows what he's doing, right? He knows, I've got a purpose for this, and it's because of love. Second, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. So he already knows what's going to happen, and he knows that he's got good motives in allowing it, but... Still, in the moment, when he sees her pain, he feels her pain and weeps with her. I mean, that, if you're suffering right now, that should comfort you. Because it means that even if Jesus knows what's going on, even if he has a purpose for what's going on, that that doesn't just mean he's sitting back going, look, I've got a purpose. Turn that frown upside down. I work all things for good. I work in mysterious ways. He doesn't say any of that to her, right? He doesn't say, look, you just don't understand. I work all things for your good. Instead, he cries. I mean, that blows my mind every time because he knows what he's about to do. 
you would think that he would be like, no, stop crying. I'm about to fix this. You would think that he would just be like, hey, watch this. It's a just quiet. Give me one second, Mary, please. I'm about to blow your mind. No, instead he sees her pain and he cries with her. I mean, what kind of God is that? All powerful, yes, all loving, all purposeful, all wise, but he sees our human pain and cries with us. That's a good God. Next and final thing is this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, I read that piece and I'll just skip down to this. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And she says, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. So, Jesus hears. He has reasons for allowing what he allows, even if we don't see them. His greatest purpose in allowing things in our lives is his love, even if it doesn't feel like that, for us and for the people around us that we may never experience. But even though he's got all the reasons and he's got the love, he has compassion in the middle of the moment. But that's not it. He also deals with the suffering. He doesn't just feel nice and cozy about us. He also, it says, deals with the suffering. So the Bible teaches that we live in a world that's been broken. So God made the world good, but, but now because we turned our backs away from God, all the evil in the world is there from natural evil to to moral evil, to all the things that we talked about. All of that is because man and woman turned their backs from God, and now the world is tainted, it's broken. That's what the Bible teaches. So that's, I mean, if you want to ask, like, why did Lazarus get sick in the first place? It didn't say Jesus went, bing, and made him sick. It said he was sick, and they, because, because we live in a broken world that has sickness and disease in it, and we live in a world that's been broken. But, What Jesus says is, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to fix it. This is where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I'm going to bring life into this broken world. That I am going to heal the broken world. And she she confesses this, though she doesn't get the full picture of it. She says, yeah, yeah, I believe that you're the Christ. That means Savior, the Messiah that's come, the Son of God who's coming into this broken world. So yeah, I believe that you're this one that's going to come in and change and heal and restore the broken world. And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. I am the life that's come into death and will heal the broken world. So, so sometimes people say, right, why does God allow suffering? And the real answer to that is he doesn't allow it. He, he's dealing with it. Now, it's not in our timeline. It wasn't in their timeline But what he does with Lazarus is a snapshot of what his plan is for the world. And that's what we see here in this little glimpse. He says, look, what I'm going to do to Lazarus is a picture of what I'm going to do to this world. That, yeah, Lazarus is dead, and I'm going to bring him life. But I'm also the one that's coming to this world, this dead, broken world, to bring life. So we, we can ask the question, why does God allow suffering? But the truth is, he hasn't allowed it. He is doing something about it and will one day completely do something about it. Mother Teresa, have you guys heard of her? She's cool. She said this. Mother Teresa said that from heaven, so if you die and you're Christian and you're in heaven from heaven, the most miserable life on earth will look like one bad night in an inconvenient motel. 
That's the truth. Ever stayed in a bad, cheap motel? That's what, in heaven, we're going to look back and go, oh man, remember that kind of funky Super 8 we stayed at off the highway? That's what life was like. But it's, it's just going to be kind of a distant memory. C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia that all the sad, no, sorry, that's, um, it's J.R.R. Tolkien said it in The Lord of the Rings, that all the sad things would come untrue. All the sad things would come untrue. So why is he waiting? Why, why doesn't he just do it now? I mean, if he's going to restore it, why not just do it now? Why not just deal with all the suffering now? Because here's, here's why. Because if you were to deal with all the suffering now, we'd be all wiped out. Because some of the suffering is earthquakes and tornadoes, but isn't some of the suffering what we do to one another? So if Jesus said, I'm going to deal with all the suffering right now, then we'd go, okay, yes, get rid of the terrorists. I'm going to deal with all the suffering right now. Okay, great, get rid of the pedophiles. Okay, I'm going to deal with all the suffering right now. Okay, get rid of all the greedy people, all the selfish people, all the complaining people, all the grumbling, coveting, lying, deceiving, slandering, gossiping. Get rid of those people. Oh, I mean, anyone left yet? I mean, if we did like a, you know, <laughs> keep your hand up, you know, until... Anyone left? So if he was to deal with all suffering, we'd be gone. So why doesn't he deal with all suffering now? It's because he's being patient. He's being patient. He's being patient for us to turn to him. Because Jesus is going to deal with all suffering, but he's going to deal with it at the roots. And the roots is our human heart. And so here's the final piece of the story. But one of them, when they go and tell the Pharisees, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. So this is when they went to him and said, hey, if we don't stop this guy, everyone's going to believe in him. And Caiaphas said, you don't know anything at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man, he's talking about Jesus, he's saying one man, it's better that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So they go to, they go to the Pharisees, the religious group, and they say, this, everybody's going to believe in this guy if we keep letting him do this stuff. Yeah. And he says, look, we need to kill him. We need to kill him because it's better that we should kill this one guy than that, than that everybody else in the nation would be led astray because they don't like Jesus. That everybody else would die. It's better for us to kill one person than for everybody to have to die. And he doesn't even realize what he's saying because that's true. And that's what Jesus did. See, the way that Jesus says, I will deal with suffering, not just the surface level things, but the very core of things, the heart the way I'll deal with it is by dying myself, by suffering myself. Because the roots of suffering is our spiritual turning from God. And that has a punishment, a crime. It's a crime that has a punishment of death. But Jesus says, instead of letting everybody else suffer for that, I'll suffer for it. One of me. I'll do it so they don't have to suffer. I'll do it so you don't have to suffer. 
Jesus would die for the nation, and not just for the nation, but to gather the children of God. This is why Jesus is better than even just a generic God of love. See, many people believe, I believe in God, and I believe in a God of love. But let me say this. If you believe, if, if, your, if your belief about God is, I believe in a God of love, but not necessarily Jesus, not necessarily the Bible. If, if you just believe in a God of love, he's not a God of love. He's a horrible God because that God hasn't done anything about the suffering. Like if you say, I just believe in a God of love, what has he done about the suffering? Nothing. He's just waiting for people to die and then they get heaven. The Bible says that he has done something about the suffering. Or, but, but what about this? If you believe just in a God of love, he's a God of love that's a God of love like you feel towards a puppy. In the sense that you, if it you know, hurts its paw, you kind of go, oh, poor puppy. But you don't feel its pain. I mean, if you just say, I believe in a God of love, that God has never suffered. He's never come into this world and actually said, I don't just kind of feel bad for you. I'm going to suffer like you and with you and for you. So for those people that say, yeah, I believe in a God of love, I just want you to know that's not a very loving God because he looks at our suffering and doesn't really understand it and hasn't done anything about it. And whether you believe the Bible or not, that's, that's up to you. But at least know that the Bible says this is what God is like. God is a God that does something about our suffering and identifies with our suffering. He would actually come into the world and suffer. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. We remember that Jesus went to the cross and suffered for us. That he hears our prayers. That he cares for us. That he was willing to deal with our suffering by suffering himself. By having his blood shed and his body broken so that we wouldn't have to suffer the same way that he did. So we might not know all the reasons every time that we suffer. Why is it happening? Why? We might not always know, but we know that he loves us and has suffered with us and for us. And so if you're a Christian, when you take communion, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember how loving God is that he would suffer for you. And if you're not a Christian, I just want you to consider Jesus. I mean, that's what, that's what the whole thing we're doing. Just consider. Consider this God. And then we will also sing songs because we believe that he is a good God that enters into our suffering and deals with it and loves us in the middle of it. And then we'll give tithes and offerings. And if you're not a Christian, don't, don't give. We want you to know Jesus. But if you are a Christian, then we give because we believe that Jesus is awesome and we want people to know him. And we want to be able to, to have a church where people can hear and answer questions and know who God is. And you can give online or you can give up in the baskets in the front. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us deeply. I thank you that you um, don't just see our suffering and feel bad for us, but that you suffered with us and for us. Lord, open our minds and open our hearts and open our eyes to see that you are present with us in the middle of our suffering and that you are dealing with suffering and help us to see you as glorious. Help us to see you as who you are. In your name, Jesus, amen.